This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to another Liverpool.com podcast. I am Dan Morgan. I'm going to be hosting this week. I'm joined by Liverpool.com staff writers Mark Wakefield and Joel Rabinovitz and also Blood Reds Matt Addison. Gentlemen, hope we're all okay today. Um, for you, the listener, for you um, who are just tuning into this at whatever time or place, Fear not, we're not going to spare you Aston Villa all over again. Um, we will take some sound bites and some talking points from Villa um, to, to look at because obviously it is a massive sort of shock and reverberation around the Liverpool supporter contingent, and rightly so. Um, but we're not going to spare you the gory details. Believe me, we've done it to death and we are sick of it. Um, so that being said, uh, Mark, I'll come to you first because I want to talk about Sadio Mane. Um, and you wrote a piece for, for our site this week. And I think I'm fair in assessing that the tone of the piece was how in many ways Mane, by virtue of becoming Liverpool's one of Liverpool's most important players, if not the most important, has also become a bit of a problem in that sense too, um, because he has gone to levels which make him so unique that I think it's unfair for supporters and anyone who, you know, expecting Diogo Jota to sort of replicate what Sadio Mane can do in this team. But I think it is fair, isn't it, to, to suggest that he is now, in a lot of senses, defensively attacking game intelligence, one of, if not Liverpool's most important footballers. Definitely. I mean, when you when you talk about the topic of Liverpool's most important players, often people will say either Alisson, Van Dijk, Salah, um, even at times John Henson in midfield, but I just think with Mane, you just see like he just sets the tone for the whole game, whatever game he's in. And you, you saw it against Arsenal. He led the press from the front. He um, dominated the pretty much every aspect of the game. And I just think his he has just that aura about him that I think just reverberates around the whole team, like all the way from the goalkeeper all the way through to the rest of the team. And obviously, if fans were present, obviously it feels around the stands as well. I just think when he's not there, I just think fat, uh, the players just feel a bit of a loss. I think it's a bit similar to when Barcelona without Messi, Juventus without Ronaldo, you could probably go as far as when Madrid without De Bruyne. I just think he is so important, not just for what he does in an attacking sense, but just the confidence around the whole squad. And people will just think, uh, the players will just think, we've got Manny, we'll be fine. Some, he'll If it's not him plucking something out of Manny, magic, you know, he'll just help spur, spur the team on to get the goal or keep a clean sheet uh, if needed because he does a lot of defensive work that often doesn't get seen, um, like noticed very much. And I think that he just it pretty much just sets the tone of what everything Jurgen Klopp's about, high pressing, full energy, and also just basically not giving in until the final whistle is blown. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's all, almost cruel, Matt, that is the last game before he... He gets reeled out with COVID. Is is that Arsenal game? Because I think it's a prime example of sort of the defensive intensity in his game now. And he he was almost a, a going across the line to set that press at times. You know, he's really sort of feels like it's sort of a personal thing with him now. You know, he really feels. I think he, he sees a sense of responsibility um, within this Liverpool attack to sort of start that defender from the front. And, and this is a team with a bit of Firmino in it. You know, it's some testament, but. I think there's a couple of things that you do see at Villa. You know, the, the, there's obviously flaws all over the place, but 
from an from a, an attacking and defending sense, the manner in which Manny missing is, it, it, I mean, it was standout, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to know where to start, isn't it, with Aston Villa? Yeah. I think, you know, specifically in, in terms of Mane, you do lose, obviously, a lot going forward. That sort of goes without saying at this point. I think he has become one of Liverpool's most important, definitely, uh, and probably, arguably, their best player over the last couple of, of seasons. And I think, obviously, we're going to touch on Roberto Firmino later. I think you sort of feel the loss of Sadio Mane uh, when he's not there even more at this moment in time because it's not quite working for Firmino in terms of the, the pressing and, and the off-the-ball thing that he does as well. I think if Roberto Firmino is absolutely at his peak and, and he's doing that pressing, you possibly don't notice the loss of, of Sadio Mane quite in the same way that you do it at this moment in time. But just listening to, to what Mark was saying before there, it, it kind of almost reminded me of, of when Felipe Coutinho was at, at Liverpool and obviously not in a defensive sense, but certainly going forward, it's a case of Liverpool's players almost looking for, for him at, at every opportunity. Obviously, there's there's other top players there as well. You've got Mohamed Salah, who actually I thought had a, a pretty decent game against Aston Villa, took his goals quite well. But it did remind me of, of sort of Coutinho in, in the sense that you, when you take him out of, of the team, there's almost a, a gap that needs filling. There's there's a hole there. It's not quite as complete as, as what it normally is. And I think it, it's absolutely fair to say at the start of this season and, and probably in sort of lockdown at, at times as well that Liverpool very much did look to, to Sadio Mane to almost drag them forward at times. I think you know, certainly you wouldn't want to take Aston Villa as being the marker of that and the fact that you know he was missing wasn't the complete reason for the performance going the way that it did. But you know, certainly it didn't help. And I think Sadio Mane has kind of elevated himself to, to such a level now at Liverpool where when you do miss him, you you really do miss him. And I'm not saying that Aston Villa is, is going to happen week in, week out. I think there will be a couple more of, of those sort of freak results, if you like, not just for, for Liverpool, but for, for other teams going forward. But certainly you take somebody as important as him out of the system as much as the attacking sense. And you are obviously going to feel a huge loss. There's something Villa and Dean Smith do, Joel, I think, which is they turn the game into a bit of a coin toss. And I think he, I think he decides on this before the game's kicked off, Smith. I think he thinks there's only one way in which we're getting something from this and we have a go at them. And if it becomes a mad game, then so be it. But he, he puts his chips into sort of having a go at having a bit of a boxing match, a tennis match, whatever analogy you want to make with Liverpool, a bit of a back and forth. Now, where I think you miss Mane most is a lot of people have said in that scenario, so Liverpool at the worst, I'd say, are probably in the game when they go 2-1 down. I don't think they do anything to sort of stem the flow of Villa. Village go to the other end and score again. People say you miss Jordan Henderson and Thiago getting the foot on the ball for 10 minutes in a game at the times when Liverpool needs it. I actually think you miss Mane in those attacking third situations where he's very good at slowing the game down to a pace that he wants and keeping Liverpool within final third areas. Whereas I think I think Salah relies on the chaos a little bit. He relies on sort of things breaking a lot of the time and having space in front of him. Firmino's often doing work going backwards. I think Manny's the one who's, who can sort of dictate tempo in, in the attacking third areas. And I think that was, again, I think it was something that was missing when Liverpool needed just to, to pen Villa in for five, ten minutes. He wasn't there and it wasn't sticking. Yeah, the thing with Mane that I think sets him apart from quite a lot of 
kind of attackers of his ilk is that he's so actively involved in all aspects of a game, like you say, in terms of build-up play, in terms of defensively, in terms of just keeping the ball and having the ball, it is such a useful outlet. I thought you're right to mention the Arsenal game beforehand. I know he only gets the one goal in that one, but I think that's that's one of the best Mane performances we've seen in a long, long time in terms of his all-round contribution. There were points there where it just felt the ball was just attached to his boot, really. Arsenal couldn't get near him. He's like a one. He's like a one-man wrecking ball, really, at times. Um, and Liverpool did miss that massively. I think Salah, like uh, like Matt said, he takes the finishes really well, but he's not he's not exactly in the game uh, as much as you would like him to be. Um, weirdly enough, as much as we say we missed Mane, and I completely agree that we do. I thought the left-hand side was actually one of the few parts of Liverpool's game that was kind of working relatively well compared to the rest. I thought Robertson was probably Liverpool's best player on the day. And I thought Jota, as much as he didn't replicate what Mane would give you, uh, was at least more effective than most. He tried. He had the, the role in the, the goal that gets it back to 2-1. Um, so, yeah, it, hopefully it's just a one-off and he's back in time to play against Everton. But I completely agree in terms of his stature. And I think as well, psychologically opposition teams just knowing that he's not on the pitch um, must give them a massive lift yeah absolutely and then knowing Adrian is on the pitch as well sorry that was a low blow um, <laughs> I'll refrain from that um, one striker to the other or one attacker to the other in Liverpool's team Roberto Firmino Mark um, what do we do with him is, is the question that I want to know I, it's fine to have an opinion is what I'd say is that we do nothing and that he's doing perfectly fine, and I'm, I'm sort of of this opinion. I, I think it gets highlighted when Liverpool don't win games of football, obviously. But Liverpool scored 75 Premier League goals last season and finished the league on 99 points. Okay, there was there was issues made out of Firmino not scoring at home, but people weren't, you know, people weren't banging doors down for him to be taken out this side. Do do we basically? I guess what I'm asking is, do we sort of countenance all the work that he does, that isn't scoring goals for Liverpool, and say that that's enough to keep him in this team, or are we now at the point where we're saying he needs he needs a better output in front of goal? Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree <coughs> with you that I, I'm not of the opinion that I, I personally think that the criticism of him is a bit unfair or very unfair because I think what it's been echoed a lot a lot of the times how much his work goes unnoticed like he does the hard yards like he presses the ball he doesn't it's not selfish in the striker sense like many of the top strikers in the league are but to, to point to the point of what you do with him i mean it's hard to say i mean personally i'd like to see him maybe play if they do a different formation like try a four two three uh, four two three one maybe have him behind the striker maybe have someone like maybe minamino and then the interchange do something a bit differently with that jota can also do that role as well but I just think, you know, a lot of it is a bit over the top, given the fact that Liverpool have lost their game of football quite badly. And I think people are looking for reasons as to what to change. Like, you lose the game badly, you've got to change something. Like, let's not forget, he is one of, if not the one of, if not their best attacking player. We've just talked you guys about Mane, but he's better, he's better in a different sense. Um, he leads the front. But I just think he needs to be a bit more selfish in his game at times. Like, we see a lot of occasions where I think we're going to get onto it as well, where Liverpool are trying to score the perfect goal all the time, or it comes across as that. They're trying to find, basically get within five yards and then tap it in, which is something I think Man City have done or do very, really well um, since Pep Guardiola has gone in there. 
I think he has to have a bit more, well, a bit more selfish streak about him, which top strikers do. But he, as we've said, he's a top striker in a different sense. But as to, to your point, what we're doing, I was just trying to say to him, just try and be more aggressive in front of goal, just try and score more. If obviously it's easier said than done, but as it's more of a, I think it's more of a tactical side of him rather than just hook him out of the team, hope for the best. I don't think that's the right way to do it at all. I've got one criticism, Matt. It is that he sort of, for me, needs to be more ruthless, but ruthless in the sense of just making sure that he gets put away. Because there's a few that stick out to me, and it's almost like he's in training. It's almost like the next one will come along in a minute. And it's, oh, you know, we're guaranteed to get goals from other places on the pitch. It's almost the subliminal manner in which he, he sort of is now in front of goal. There's one against Leeds where he just has to roll it into the near post and he tries to flick it with his outside of the boot to go across to keeping the defender. And yet, for me, if there is one criticism I've got, it's sort of make sure the chance goes when you need it to go. And I think, you know, again, to reference Villa the other night, there's one where it's down the throat of the goalie. Can he do much more with that? I'm not sure. But that sort of thing for me is where, if I have got a, a slight criticism, that's where it'd lie. I think so, but it's difficult, isn't it? At the same time, you, you think of Roberto Firmino at his best. It is that sort of elegant, effortless, doing mm. things that the no-look finishes. That's kind of a, a sign almost that he's obviously still got some confidence in his own ability because yeah. otherwise you would have thought he probably wouldn't have been sort of trying those sort of things. I think for me, the, the big issue with Firmino is that you accept that he doesn't always score goals. I think there's a, a bit of a misconception, if you like, that he was... You know, below par for the entirety of last season, which is is absolutely not true. I think certainly, you know, post lockdown, he, he sort of had a, a bit of a lull. He's not properly started the the season in the the way that we would all like to to see him play. But you accept that he doesn't score goals as long as the rest of his game is up there, as long as the pressing is perfect, the sort of link up play, the sort of play the interchanging with you know the, the midfielders, the wide players. But at the moment, for me, it's just not quite up there with the rest of his game. So suddenly now, because the rest of his game isn't quite perfect, you're suddenly looking at him and going, well, if he's not doing that, he's not scoring goals. What is he doing? And I think it is only fair that, that we have a conversation at, at this stage about that because it's not a short-term thing. It's not us looking at, at Aston Villa and saying, you know, he didn't play well. Obviously, that's absolutely true. But I don't think he's been at his best, really, since he had that spell sort of the, the turn of the year, really, the, the Club World Cup, the Leicester game, he was brilliant. I think, was it, we played Wolves, I think, twice in the space of about two weeks. Those sorts of matches, I think he scored the, the winner away at Tottenham in that sort of period as well. And that sort of time is what you want to see for me, you know, but that's a substantial amount of time since we've seen that sort of level consistently week by week from him. So I think it, it's right that you have the conversation, but it's difficult because you don't really have anybody who can go in there. Divock Origi is probably the one that can play through the middle, but he's just not at the same level as, as Firmino. Even when he's at his best, he's just nowhere near. You look at someone like Takumi Minamino, you could argue that maybe you give him a go and, and put him in for the derby and, and use Firmino off the bench, not least because you know he's going away with Brazil and they're not coming back until a couple of days before that match. But even with Minamino, there's... There's not really any evidence to suggest, certainly tactically, that he can do it any differently. And you know, in terms of, of scoring and you know the, the sort of completeness of his game, 
again, we, we've not quite seen it from him. So it's a difficult one to, to know whether you stick or twist because there is obviously an excellent player in there. And I'm very much hopeful that we will see that peak level of Firmino again. But at the same time, at this moment in time, it's, it is absolutely fair to, to criticise him. I mean, Joe, a lot of this is based on a piece that you wrote for the site um, about Firmino um, mm. yesterday or Monday. I forget the days. Monday, Monday. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I will say is I don't think he struggles with confidence. Like, I think people have, have been sort of quick to label he shot of confidence, his confidence looks poor, his body language when he came off and stuff like that. I mean, if people are getting hammered in the game, that's probably the reason why he looks a bit dejected. Um, I, I think I don't think there's any doubt that he sort of rolls into the next one and, and doesn't have any doubts about his ability. Where are you with it? Um, I mean, all of this, we, again, we have to preface by saying he, I, I consider him probably to be the most important or influential player of Klopp's entire reign. I probably would go that far alongside Mane, perhaps. Uh, that said, I, I probably would be a bit harsher than both Mark and Matt there. I think I honestly think that was one of the worst games he's ever had for Liverpool against Villa. Um, to the point where it wasn't just that he wasn't offering much. Um, he obviously didn't score, but it wasn't that he wasn't offering much or he was quiet. It was that he was actively hurting Liverpool, I felt, in terms of the, the places he was giving the ball away in. I think it was, I kind of lose track of the goals now, but I think it was Villa's sixth, the greenish one, where he just, it's a really simple pass in the middle of the pitch and he takes a really heavy touch, Villa go through and score straight away. Um, and there were a couple of other situations that materialised like that. Um, just really basic actions that you expect him to be able to do where he's dribbling through, he's got players to either side and he passes it straight to to Mings or, or Konza, whoever it was. Um, so I thought he, he was an active hindrance in the game, which isn't always the case. He can be quiet. I think what, what concerns me a bit is I think we've almost got used to speaking about Firmino in a way where we almost, we don't want to criticise the goals because we all know that he does all this other stuff. He, he tracks back, he wins the ball high up the pitch, he links play. That's all true, or it has been true in the past. But I do think what Matt says, you haven't necessarily seen all much of that stuff really since around sort of Christmas time. And that's a long time now. I was having a look at his numbers for this piece. Um, and I know that he's not meant to be as prolific or he just isn't as prolific as most number nines because he plays a different role. But that's two goals and 23 appearances now, which no matter where you're playing on a pitch for this Liverpool team, it is a bit of an issue, I think. Um, and that's not to say that I think Liverpool needs to kind of think about kind of replacing him. They obviously can't because the transfer window is closed, but I wouldn't want to anyway. It's more that I don't necessarily think it would be a bad thing for him to have a couple of games out of a team, whether that's Minamino through the middle, Salah can obviously play through the middle and you play Jota out wide. Um, or you change the system. I just think persisting with it... it, it I sometimes do worry that it's almost a little bit too comfortable that you can kind of play as bad of that and your your place in a team is under no threat. I'll come back to you, Joel. I mean, is is this sort of, is he the player who would benefit most from changing the shape, do you think? Because I mean, the other argument to this is we've hardly seen any of Minamino and I expected him to play a bit more than he has mm. already. I know there's only been four games or whatever, but I, I thought he'd get more minutes than what he has. I mean, there's times where he's coming on for like 30 seconds in games. Would it benefit both of them to sort of change it to that 4-2-3-1 and, and have maybe Salah in front of them? Quite possibly, I think. I'm surprised we haven't seen really any 4-2-3-1 
um, in the league so far this season. I know we played something like that against Lincoln, which is a bit of a, an exception, but the one time really where you've seen Minamino and Firmino play well together and, and not look like they're getting in each other's way was in the second half of the Community Shield, which I know, mm. is, again, is a bit of a different situation. It's in pre-season. Both teams hadn't really prepared properly for it, but that looked right as a shape for both of them. The spaces they were picking up, they were interchanging quite nicely. At some points, Firmino was up front, Minamino was behind, and at other times they swapped round. Um, I think that would make Liverpool less predictable. I think it also is a, is a way of getting Jota in the team. And I think, yeah, the, the way they attack would be, it's more multifaceted. If you've got four attackers there, um, it puts less pressure on the fullbacks because you've got more width from out wide. You've got more cover from midfield. That was another huge problem in the Villa game. It was just the spaces were all over the place in midfield. I think if you've got two sort of sitting there alongside each other, that tends to help Fabinho as well, I think. Um, I think the other thing with Firmino to remember, I'm, I'm quite interested in the fact that when, I think before he came to Hoffenheim, when he first came through at Brazil, his original position was a defensive midfielder. And you think sometimes when you watch that, you can kind of see why that is because of the way, the kind of positions he takes up and just the way he plays the game. I do wonder, like Mark referenced and what, like you've just said, whether they do change the shape a little bit to get him in those deeper positions on the ball where the onus isn't so much on him to sort of spearhead the attack. It might just it might just reignite a spark. Um, I don't necessarily think we'll see that straight away against Everton, but it is something to consider. Liverpool have got a lot of games coming up and they need some version of Firmino towards his best um, as soon as possible. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Matt, they buy Jota. Now, they were obviously, that, that says they're in the market in the summer for an attacker because they go and get one. They don't buy a number nine. No, they don't. They don't buy Raúl Jiménez, which that says to me that I think they've. I think if you you sitting down with Jurgen Klopp and his, his management team now, his staff, I think the same. We cover enough bases across the board of, of having the three of those in the side. Like if you use Jiménez as the example, I think they'd probably say Mane's better with his back to goal, which I think he is. I think where I'm getting at is again, it's back to the point of. Do they think there's enough countenance from what all three forward players provide in an attacking trio to give them everything that they're looking for? And that's including goals if Firmino isn't scoring. Or does it get to a point where, like I said before, they're looking at it and they're saying, well, we need to take them out the side. Because if you take Villa out the equation, Liverpool beat two you know, very fancy top six clubs this season by a comfortable two-goal margin. And we've we seen a lot last season where I think if there was an argument to be had, a lot of it was last season when they weren't killing games off in the manner in which they needed to. They weren't giving themselves that comfort blanket in the manner in which they need to. Again, you can argue whether Firmino was part of that. But do you think they're maybe thinking that by keeping the three of them in a front three, they're getting sort of everything they want just in a sort of very lopsided manner? Yeah, I think so. I think obviously we always would look towards Salah and Mane as the primary sources of goals in this team. Firmino is almost like a, a supplement to that. I think in, in terms of the reason that they've gone for Jota rather than somebody else's, simply because he can play in all three of those positions. Obviously, you're looking for that fourth choice attacker, somebody who can come in and, and add genuine quality and, and add genuine competition for those players. 
I don't think they would have been looking for someone who could just play as a number nine and would be a, a goal scorer. I think part of the attraction of him really was the fact that he can play all the way across. We've seen him play on the right already for Liverpool. He didn't do that too much for Wolves, uh, but certainly he played off the left a lot. He can play potentially as a, a false nine himself, Jota. And I suppose it was the same with Minamino. We've mentioned him a couple of times. I think he's one who could play certainly left and right through the middle as well as a, a kind of Firmino right, if you like. He, he's not as good at doing that job, but potentially uh, if you put him in the side for a sustained period of time, I think he possibly could be. I think it's just more the, the way that, that Liverpool work, really, the way that their transfers are, the way that Jurgen Klopp likes his squad to be. They don't really buy specialists necessarily who could just come in and, and do one specific job to supplement that squad. It's got to be somebody who can play in a multi, in sort of, well, probably you'd say four positions. You'd say Jota could play as a nine left and right and as probably as a, a 10 as well. It's more a case, I think, of, of not necessarily not replacing Firmino. It's more being able to replace all three of them should that need to be the case. So it's more part of a, a wider transfer strategy, I think, in terms of, of who they've gone for this summer. But I think going forward, this isn't a question that's going to go away just because Liverpool have signed Jota this summer, I would imagine they're probably going to be in the market for another attacker potentially next summer, certainly the summer after that, because you look at Salah, Mane and Firmino, at some point there is a succession plan that has to come into place. Indeed. I wonder whether that's Jadon Sancho, but that's probably for another day. Mark, you, you touched on it before, the, the attacking in general... I picked up on it this morning. Liverpool haven't scored a Premier League goal yet this season outside of the penalty area. Not a great surprise, given how they attack um, and stuff like coming up against low blocks and teams who sit in. Um, but you see from Villa the other night, they, they, they get lucky with a lot of deflections, but they're having shots. Now, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of a shot. I often I said on this podcast the other week I'm seeing a bit of the Phil Coutinho frustration I used to get in Curtis Jones at the minute whereby he would sort of do all he can to open his body and get a shot off where you just wanted to play one more pass. Is there an argument for it, do you think? Do you think Liverpool need to sort of take a few more pop shots, play for second balls, loose balls that break? Or are you happy with sort of how they're defending, uh, sorry, attacking currently? Um, I don't think it's as much as They've got to take more pot shots from outside. I think they've just got to be trying a bit more unpredictable, I think. And that's something that um, Klopp and Pep Linders have said before. They've got to be more unpredictable if they want to win the league Win the league again. I mean, I touched on it before. It just comes across at times, certainly in the Arsenal game. Um, it just come across as like they're trying to score the perfect goal. Um, like something that Man City have become known for, but they obviously do it quite a lot, so they're more... They've been doing it for a couple of, for a few years under Guardiola. Like they play oh, about 20, 30, 40 passes before it's a tapping out from six yards out from Sterling or Aguero, whoever it is. And I think Liverpool are gradually becoming more a bit more like that because I think that partly becomes from teams are sitting back on them a lot, lot more because whether that's respect, whether that's fear of getting um, opening up too much. Obviously, Villa did the exact opposite and took Liverpool on and got the better of it, but. I think part of it just comes from the tactics from the opposition force Liverpool to play in that way, in that they've got to try and break them down, whether it's these intricate passes that, well, when it comes off and when it works well, is really, really good to watch. Especially when you see, uh, I think it was the Chelsea got at Chelsea when Mane 
scores ahead of a brilliant bit of play with um, Firmino, Sal and Trent on that right-hand side. And when it works, it does really work well. But when you see, well, I mean, Villa is a classic example where literally nothing works bar a couple of moments from Salah and Jota to get the couple of goals. I just think Liverpool have to take, like I say, be a bit more predictable and take a chance if it's like, I mean, we saw it last season, Fabinho against Man City as a 25, 30 yards outside goal, hits it and goes and beats the keeper with ease. And those sorts of things can't, are being forced, but are, might be forced to happen this season because teams will sit off Liverpool a lot more because they are the champions. That's what happens. They have that aura about them now. They've got, like, they're not the chasing pack like they were last season. Um, but Liverpool have got to deal with that. That comes with the territory of being defending champions. It's not something they've had, been used to for well, for 30 years now, so it's something they've got to adjust to, but in terms of the attacking sense, they've just got to try and be more predictable, whether that's taking more shots at goal, or play for set pieces if they have to, like some teams do, which they were very good at last season, getting set piece goals. Yeah, I just think it's got to be something that they've got to sort out quickly, because um, as I say, we don't, we don't certainly don't want to repeat and Villa to happen again. Um, like Matt said earlier, there will be more Free games this season because no crowds are going. I think we're going to see a lot more of them. On, but obviously, that will go in Liverpool's favour, might go against them, and so it will happen for the rest of the teams across the league. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the old Pep Linders quote, Joel, which I'm paraphrasing, but it's it's sort of, you know, we don't want to create sort of eight, four out of ten chances. We want to create four, eight out of ten chances. And it's sort of how you define those chances in your own mind, I think, a lot of the time. Like, I think, I always think back to a James Milner goal against Burnley away in 18-19. And we're, we're losing the game 1-0. And the left-footed one outside the box. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's about 18 yards out, but it's clearly an instruction. It's, mm. you know, you get your shot from there because they're basically defending on their own goal line. And and it's it works. And, yeah, I just, I, I do think, back to sort of the Firmino, Arguments again, you know, Liverpool are maybe sort of trying, trying to be, perf- trying to achieve perfection at times with with a couple of these chances, and in games like that, maybe maybe you sort of do have to fight, fight with fire a little bit and just see sort of what comes off. Yeah, again, the Community Shield's another example, really, where Liverpool just create, create a bit of chaos in the box and the ball breaks from an amino. And whether that is by shooting or not, I'm not sure, but I think I'm with Mark and that there certainly has to be an element of a bit more unpredictability to, to what they do at times in, in order to sort of create different attack and situations. Yeah, it's, it's striking a balance, I think. You don't want to go back to a sort of situation no. where you're relying on a player like Coutinho when he used to just sort of cut in and, and bend one into the top or try and bend one into the top corner whenever he could. But I think having a little bit more of that in the Liverpool's game would be useful. Um, if anything, it just puts doubt in defenders' minds that they can't just sit back and, and try and kind of shot Liverpool out, out wide and then and block the middle because if there's someone who's capable of sticking the ball in from 20, 25 yards, if they know that that's a threat that's there, then that sort of, yeah, it creates the doubt. And I think that's something Liverpool haven't had too much of in these first few games. One, one of my favourite goals from last season, remember the first half against Southampton at Anfield when Liverpool were kind of on the ropes really for a lot of it, didn't play well yeah. at all. And then Oxley chamberlain just shoots low and hard into the corner from it's about 20 yards out. Um, and it's, it's a kind of percentage shot. It's similar to that Milner, Milner one that you mentioned. It's kind of through a sea of body so that the keeper can't do anything about it. It's just, it's not particularly 
it's not in the top corner. It's just kind of low and hard. And if he gets it right, which he does, it's got a good chance of going in. And I think the more the more Liverpool could have of that now, the better. Obviously, Oxford Chamberlain's out, but there are other players who can do it. Um, again, I've been doing a piece for we've got all our Klopp anniversary stuff coming out this week. Um, but on the 16-17 season, Emre Chan scores a couple of those goals. Um, Burnley at home, I think, was a horrible 2-1 where he just he shoots again. It's a similar sort of distance, 20 yards out, and it's just through the sea of bodies into the bottom corner. And I think that's something that, yeah, against Villa, um, even against Arsenal, the, the amount of players they had behind the ball, honestly, you could draw a circle around them. There was 10 of them literally on the edge of their own box. And you would quite like sometimes a player to just sort of put their foot through it. And even if it doesn't go in, like you said, the, the Minamino goal in a community shield is one where the ball just bounces. Sometimes if you take a little bit of a risk from distance, um, it, it can just ricochet and fall nicely for you. Yeah, I mean, maybe one player to sort of add that balance, Matt, could be um, could be Curtis Jones. You know, you see a lot of the time when he comes into the side, he's he's more than willing to sort of look for opportunities to get a shot off. And he's got a, he's got a good eye for goal, it seems, too. Um I think you might see a bit more of that. I expect them to start at least one of Liverpool's uh, two league games against West Ham and Sheffield United in between the Champions League games. So do you think that's something to look out for? Yeah, I think so. I think that's obviously something that, that Curtis can do. He's one of those players where he's a bit more of a, a dribbler than a lot of Liverpool players are. They tend to just pass the ball about, whereas he can sort of carry it over that couple of yards, engineer himself a little bit of space. I mean... I'm slightly wary of, of criticising Liverpool in terms of their ingenuity and, and the amount of goals. I think we just have to sort of think of, of Aston Villa as a complete anomaly. It's not something that we're going to see frequently from Liverpool. It, it's not a performance that you're going to look at. And then you look at the other three games, they've played Leeds, who are causing everyone problems. They've played Chelsea, they've played Arsenal, and they've scored an average of, of three goals in each of those games. So I think we have to sort of be careful where we sort of set our expectations of how they score and how they go about things. I don't think creatively they've been too bad, but I suppose it's just sort of emphasised when you take someone like Sadio Mane out of the equation, which is going to be the case at times this season. So, yeah, someone like Curtis Jones, Naby Keita at his best, he can do similar sorts of things. We saw that with the, the goal against Chelsea at the end of last season. It's just all about sort of keeping ahead of that curve, isn't it? I suppose... For Liverpool, it's got to be a, almost a horses for courses approach at times. They are just going to have to sit in and, and do what they need to do to, to get the results over the line because they're going to be playing, as you say, Champions League, Premier League, Champions League, Premier League for six, seven weeks. And you know, then we enter the festive period and it's just going to be sort of all, all systems go for, for the next few months. But I suppose it, it's never going to be a bad thing if, if you can create goals in a slightly different way. I just wonder... You know, how much is that going to be the case? How often is Curtis Jones going to start? I'm not too sure, to be honest, but I suppose whichever way you can give yourself the edge, that's absolutely, especially in a season like this, something that you've got to, to try and do. OK, the uh, the transfer window has slammed shut. The yellow ties have been well and truly taken off. Liverpool have done their business, which we know is Costa Smikas, Thiago Alcantara and Diogo Jota. We asked... Uh, Tom Victor to write us a piece on the winners and losers of the transfer window that is out at four o'clock today um, today being Wednesday so by the time this podcast comes out you'll be well able to read that Tom 
for for information, gentlemen, has gone for the winners being Liverpool, Everton and Aston Villa and three losers being West Ham, Manchester United and Wolverhampton Wanderers. Matt, would you agree with that? Would you disagree? Would you throw anyone else into the mix? Yeah, those are the ones that, that stand out. I think that's pretty spot on, to be honest. I think Liverpool, obviously, Thiago, a huge signing for, for Liverpool. We've not seen a great deal of him. Diogo Jota, I mentioned before, I think he's a real quality addition and, and Costa Simicas in a, a similar sort of way. If Andy Robertson was to miss a portion of the season, you would think at least you've got a player in there that can really sort of come in and, and not change the way that, that Liverpool play. So I think it, it's been... Definitely a good window for, for Liverpool. You look around at someone like Aston Villa, I think obviously the sort of price tags that, that they've paid possibly uh, would be the, the thing that stops me from saying that they were a complete winner in the transfer window. But there's no doubt about it. They've got some really good players in there. Obviously, Liverpool saw that firsthand themselves. Obviously, they've kept Jack Grealish as well. That was possibly their signing of, of the summer in a way. So I think they've certainly done well. I think Everton as well, in a similar sort of way to Aston Villa. They've sort of spent a, a bit more money than possibly some people would think that they have. But I think, you know, certainly with with Alan and, and Hamas Rodriguez, you'd look at those two players and think that you compare their midfield now to what they had last season. It, it's just a completely different level. I think Everton are almost the, the most improved team, if you like, so far in the Premier League from last season compared to this one. So it would be hard to, to disagree with those. And in terms of the losers, I suppose the obvious ones are Manchester United. It's you know it's been said so many times, but they spent the whole summer looking at Jadon Sancho. Some reports now suggesting that Liverpool have overtaken them in the race for that already for, for next summer. But you know to, to go from somebody like Jadon Sancho, who I think is certainly one of the best players of his generation, potentially coming through the system, and to, to go from him to then signing someone like Edinson Cavani, which to me very much reminds me of the Radamel Falcao signing. I, I just can't see how that works for them. I think he's on huge wages. It seems like a, a bit of a panic buy. So certainly for them, I think if you were a Manchester United fan, you'd be very concerned going into the season. Possibly even someone like Everton could overtake them and, and get into the top six, I think. Mark, is there any way we're having a different conversation at the end of the season with who basically has a good and bad window? Do you think do you see any way in which sort of United maybe improve, Everton drop off? Are we are we still in early days, or is, would you go along with those choices? Yeah, I think um, I completely agree with what Matt said. Um, Everton seem a completely different animal this time around. Um, the midfield—it's amazing what a couple of high-quality players can do. Um, I know it's. Um, early days of the season but let's not forget you know they've not got Champions League or any form of Europe they've got a clear run pretty much in the league bar the league cup when that comes around um, around Christmas time similar to what Liverpool had in 16-17 they haven't got any outside commitments that will probably do them uh, the world of good um, Manchester United again it just seems the same thing every year with them they just scratch around for who seem to be the best players in the world at the time and then just end up scratch, like say trying to find someone to make a statement sign that was a panic um, Cavani I think it's a bit unfair to think that compared to Falcao I think Falcao was I can see where you're getting at but I think Cavani's got a bit more experience with him he's got a bit more of a goal scoring out in a couple of leagues he's got it with um, uh, Napoli and then at PSG but again I think you know, have they improved on last season? I wouldn't say they have. 
Um, if they get a few penalties, which they continue to do, I think Bruno is obviously going to be a, a big player for them, which he still is this season. But in terms of losers, I still think Man City haven't addressed a key area for them, which has been a problem for them, which I think is a striker, because we've seen that Aguero's out, um, they'll come back soon, admittedly, but Jesus doesn't have the um, the same impact, I don't think. So I think they spent how much, how much money on centre backs, which you know they continue to do um, since certainly since Guardiola has been there. But yeah, I mean, this you'd be hard hard pressed to find someone else who's had a bad window other than those. But like I say, in terms of Liverpool uh, as well, they certainly have. Improve the squad depth, which I think we've all been calling for. Um, like I said, left back, Samikas, forwards with Jota, and then you know any team in world football would be grateful to have Thiago in their team, whether he's a regular starter or a squad player. Yeah, who could argue with that? So it's like I say, it's still early doors, but you know the signs are good. Um, certainly for some of the teams that we've already talked about, but yeah, certainly the losers. I couldn't really argue with those. I mean, I was going to compare Cavani to, to Mario Balotelli, so I'll shut up. Um, so, um, Joel, I'll end with you. Um, I'm fascinated. Where would you put Chelsea, Joel? I was going to say that because he didn't include them in the winners or the losers, did he? No, it's, it's a really, really funny one because I, yeah. I think that's why I asked Mark before whether there's any way we sort of change our mind come the end of the window. I think if people are thinking maybe Chelsea have lost a, a little bit or... No, not done the business this year. They might be having a rethink, especially if Chelsea ends up with another manager come come the season's end. Yeah, I think if you were to ask this before a ball had been kicked this season, purely just looking at the the incoming signings, a lot of people have had Chelsea number one, talking mm. them up as title contenders, really, before the start of the season, which I never really bought into. Um, that they, they fascinate me because I've, I've watched, I think, every game they've played so far. Uh, and it from what it seems, Lampard hasn't got a clue how he's going to fit all these together in sort of a cohesive tactical plan, really. The game so far, he's had Timo Werner essentially playing as a left midfielder on 4-2-3-1, which is baffling. Whenever he receives the ball, he's basically nowhere near goal. So it's not really that surprising that he's not scored yet. Um, and that might change. He's obviously he's not had Pulisic so far. Zayac hasn't played yet, I don't think. So once those are kind of fit and, and up and running, that sort of might reignite Werner. But yeah, even Havertz as well. I know he got the hat trick in the League Cup against was it was it Barnsley? I think it was. Um, but in the league games, he's he's just looked lost. I think he's clearly got loads of talent and ability, but it's almost like he's been given all these like new shiny toys and has chucked them on and said basically, go go and do bits and see what happens. And it's not really not really clicked yet. I do like Chilwell. I have to say, I think Alonso has, has been a problem for them for so long. Um, Ever since Conte left and they stopped playing 3-4-3, he's a left-back who can't defend, which is never a good thing, as we know. Um, so I do like Chilwell. I think he's a good player. Thiago Silva, that was such an obvious position for them to try and strengthen. Um, he might end up doing okay. That mistake against West Brom was was not a great start, but I'm not convinced. And then the keeper as well, it's such an unknown property. When you get to a position where you're having to replace the most expensive goalkeeper in the history of a sport with a 20 million signing from the French league that you hope might be quite good, but you're not sure. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. The other one I was going to call you out on, Dan, did you not have Hamas Rodriguez down as a block of the season in your Liverpool.com predictions? <laughs> well, it was based on the fact that he won't fancy it when it gets cold. Well, so, um, 
So yeah, he's 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 all right at the minute. It's quite autumnal in Liverpool at the moment. It's it's still a bit mild. So he's all right. I'll I'll, I'll reserve judgment for when the winter fully kicks in. Now, to be honest, I've I've leg on my face over Everton. Um, I had an Everton. I was Everton skeptical as as I always am. Everton curious, you can call me. Um, but I I had a worry that it was sort of. A quick fix, a quick year, two years. But if they're enjoying themselves, how they obviously are, then then who am I to call them out? They've had enough sort of misery down the years. So long may it continue, I say. That's been it this week for Liverpool.com. Um, be sure to check out that Firmino piece that Joel's written, the Sadio Mane piece that Mark's written, and all the stuff that, that Matt is doing with Blood Red, which is really excellent. Um, Liverpool.com will continue to be giving you content over the international break and also, you know, building up to the games that are going to start thick and fast when Liverpool come back. So, yeah, we'll see you this time next week. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Take care, be safe, and see you again. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.